Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. All right. Good morning, CityWalk. How we doing? All right. A bunch of beautiful people here. All right. So I know right now that on a wet, cold Sunday morning, you either really love God or somebody forced you to be here. But either way, I'm glad that you're here. We're glad that you're here. Uh, It means a lot that you made us part of your weekend. Uh, If this is your first time visiting and we haven't been able to meet, my name is Matt, and I serve as part of the guest experience team as well as the teaching team. And so uh, many of you know a little bit about my life and my family. Some of you guys know that I coach track and field. And so um, I felt like it was appropriate to go ahead and just start off by sharing with you guys the 4x100 team that I'm building. So uh, here's my 4x1 team real quick. <laughs> this is Coach Lynch right here, Coach Corinne Lynch. She also serves as the wor- on the worship team here. Uh, this is our first leg right here. That's Karis. Here's our second leg. That's Micah. Here's our third leg. That's Miles. And our anchor leg right here, that's Casey. So we got four beautiful kids, and we have a lot of fun. Our kids are great. Um, but like all kids, they have, you know, they have their moments. And some, some, some weird, strange things about them. So if you hang out with the Lynches for a substantial amount of time, at some point, you're going to hear our kids talk about butts and poop. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's like all kids or if it's just my kids. But my kids, thinking, my kids think talking about butts and poop is like the most hilarious thing in the world. And so... You know, as a father, I try to step in and, you know, offer some guidance and try to reel them in a little bit. So you might hear me say stuff like, hey, lynches, we don't say stuff like that, at least not in public, okay? <laughs> lynches, we, we don't do stuff like that. And, you know, and I try to, try to reel them in and give them some guidance. And uh, maybe you're here today and you're probably like, dude, I know exactly what you're talking about because you have kids. And probably every single day you're trying to help them understand who you guys are as a family and try to give them some guidance and direction as to who they are. And if you don't have kids, you probably remember your parents at some point saying some of those phrases like, hey, remember who you are. Or hey, don't forget about where you come from. Or hey, when you step out of this house, remember you represent the lynches. Right? And I can, I can attest and testify today, and probably some of you guys can too, that the worst decisions that I've made as a man, as a husband, as a father, were when I lost sight of who I was called to be and what I was called to do. Like some of the worst decisions that I've made when I look back over the time of my life have been when I lost sight of who God had called me to be and what he had called me to do. And because of that, I found myself in these seasons of life where I'm saying, how did I get here? holy smokes, how did I get here? And for some of us, you're probably walking through that season right now. Maybe you're in it 
this day, or maybe you're coming out of the season, or maybe you can reflect on a time where you're like, I know what you're talking about, where it seems like everything is kind of falling apart. You're struggling with sin, and you know better, right? It's not like you don't know you shouldn't be doing it, but you're struggling with sin. It has a grip on you, and you're like, how did I get here? Your relationships are falling apart. Marriage is struggling. Your kids are all over the place. You have no relationship there, and things are falling apart, and you're asking yourself, how did I get here? And God seems far, and you're looking around, like, man, where is he? And you just ask yourself, man, how did I get here? And so for some of us, it doesn't happen overnight. You know, we, we go through these, these times, these ups and downs, and, and sometimes you're in a season where everything is clicking. Like you're close with God, everything is good, like you're productive, you're making moves, you're happy, you're close with God, and then all of a sudden, like, you know, the vibes are changing. You're vibing with your wife, and I mean, like, really vibing. But then it's like, hey, the vibes ain't vibing no more. Your bank account went from being, like, way up here, and now your bank account looks like the Bengals Super Bowl rings, like this. <laughs> and you're trying to figure it out, like, man, what happened? How did I get here? And the thing is, is no matter who you are or where you are, as we seek to build our relationship with God, as we seek to build a home for our family, as we seek to move forward in life, I think that there's two words that are really going to help us on our journey. Our journey of being who God has called us to be, our journey of building the life that God has called us to build. I think there's two words that can help us on this journey. And those two words are recognize and resist. Recognize who you are. Now, when I say that, I'm not talking about like, oh, I'm a teacher. Oh, I'm a coach. I have a three-bedroom house. I have three cars, and they're all hoopties. Hooray for me. No, that's literally my house. But I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about who you are. I am a child of God. I am saved I am forgiven, I have purpose, I am loved, all those things, who I am on the inside. Don't forget, recognize who you are. And the second part is resist. Literally, resist believing anything else. Resist believing anything else. Resist believing that God is okay with your sin. Resist it. It breaks his heart and it separates your intimacy with him. Resist believing the lie. Resist believing that your life has no purpose. Sometimes we wake up, go to bed, wake up, go to bed, and it all seems meaningless. If you feel like you're struggling to discover your purpose, I encourage you to run as quickly as you can to that intimate place with God. And what that intimate place is, is that intimate place is where you get in that place where you start unraveling everything inside of your heart, start confessing what's going on, confessing how you feel, confessing your struggles, confessing your mistakes, and just being raw before God. Sometimes it means fasting and praying. Sometimes it means uh, calling on some people to sit with and walk, and walk with, but getting to that place of intimacy where you're seeking God with all you have because in that place of intimacy is where purpose is birthed. 
And so if you need that, I encourage you. And that's a whole nother sermon for another day. But if you don't know your purpose, God has a purpose for every single person in here. But that purpose is birthed in that intimate place with God. So maybe you need to run to that place and resist believing that you're smarter than God and that your way is best. If we resist those things, I think we're going to be all right. If we recognize who we are and we resist those things, I think we might be all right, y'all. But I know sometimes this stuff is easier said than done. But let's recognize and resist. So today, we're going to look at the story of Nehemiah. And we're going to see how in Nehemiah, he played out that idea of recognizing and resisting. So... We're on Nehemiah chapter 6, and if you haven't been with us through our journey of going through Nehemiah, uh, let me catch you up to speed real quick. First of all, Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king Artaxerxes of Persia, right, which was a super good gig if you ask me, because Nehemiah's job was literally to taste the wine, eat the food, make sure it wasn't poisoned so that way the king didn't die. And so I'm pretty sure he probably didn't have any student loans. Pretty sure he didn't have to get a PhD, a master's degree. And this man was just drinking wine, eating food, and making sure that the king didn't get poisoned. So that's who Nehemiah was. That's what he was doing. But then he got a visit from his brother. His brother came, hung out with him. And in their conversation, his brother told him, hey, man, things aren't good back at home. Things aren't good. The wall that's supposed to be protecting our nation is burnt down, it's in, in rubbish, it's, it's, it's depleted, and it's just a sad state to be in Jerusalem right now. Things are not going well. And so this burdens Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, he, he goes to the Lord, and for four months, on and off, he's fasting, he's praying, God, what is going on in Jerusalem? Something has to happen. These, we, we need to get this thing rebuilt. And Nehemiah is fasting and praying, and he's in that intimate place that we just talked about. And in that intimate place where he's crying out to God, where he's praying over the nation, guess what happens? God says, this is what's going to happen, Nehemiah. I'm going to send you. <laughs> You're going to go back to Jerusalem, and you're going to help rebuild the wall. And so, you know, this is another message, but sometimes, guys, the stuff that you're praying for, God's just preparing you to be the answer to that solution. So don't be surprised at the stuff you're praying for. He gives you a vision on how to see it get done. That's a whole other message. I'm going to just throw that for you right there, though. Um, so Nehemiah, then he goes to Jerusalem. And when he shows up to Jerusalem, he's like, okay, we got to start rebuilding this wall. And as he begins rebuilding this wall, there's some homies of Samballot, Samballot, Geshem, and Tobiah, and they come up against all the plans and the progression that Nehemiah is trying to, to make on the wall. So we have Nehemiah. He's there to rebuild the wall, but some people aren't happy. Samballot and his compadres, they do not like it. And so the more progress that Nehemiah makes on, on rebuilding this wall, the more frustrated Samballot gets because he does not want to see this wall, this wall get rebuilt. He's a hater. He's a hater. Okay? And so that's where we are when we get to chapter 6. So let's hop in and let's start reading through chapter 6 and see where this story continues on to. And verse 1 says, when Samballot, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall 
and that no gap was left in it. Though at a time I had not installed the doors in the city gates, Sambalat and Geshem sent me a message. Come, let's meet together in the village of Ono Valley. And they were planning to harm me. So you have Nehemiah's enemies, and they're trying to set up some weird random meeting. But Nehemiah's like, bro, I know y'all trying to harm me. Y'all don't even like me, bro. Why y'all trying to hang out with me? Like, what's going on here? And so this is Nehemiah's response. In verse 3, he says, I am doing an important work and cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? Basically, he's saying, God has called me to a task, and I'm going to take it seriously. God has called me to a task, and I'm going to take it serious. I will not let you take my focus away from what is most important. That's basically what's going on in Nehemiah's heart. He recognizes that God has called him to a task, and he resists letting his focus be pulled away from what God has called him to. And four times, if you read the story, four times, Sambal and his compadres try to pull him away. Hey, man, we need to have this meeting, man. We just got to see what's going on. I know you're rebuilding the wall and stuff like that, but we just want, you know, we want to hang out real quick and just maybe have some lunch. We got to find out what you really got going on here. So, you know, if you could just come meet us in the Ono Valley and maybe we can just sit down for a minute and figure out what's going on. Four times. And Nehemiah keeps saying, bruh. I'm involved in an important work. Why should I let this work sit still while I go hang out with you? It's not happening. So finally, Sam Bow and his compadres, they get real desperate. These boys sent out a tweet. <laughs> they sent an open letter. Now, in that days, when, uh, when somebody wanted to send a message, they sent a letter and it was closed. And they would send a messenger to go give that letter to whoever they needed to, needed to go to. Well, Sambal and his compadres, they sent out an open letter, which means every person who was transferring this letter had an opportunity to see what the letter was saying. So if I'm going from here to, uh, let's say, Chico, right? Every town that I go through, somebody's going to be like, well, what you doing here? And I have to show them why I'm traveling through their town. So this open letter, the messenger, every time he went through a town, would be like, hey, what are you doing here? He'd have to show the letter and be like, oh, I'm just here to deliver this message from the king of Persia to this dude named Nehemiah. And the fact that the letter was open meant that all the people along that journey from Artaxerxes or from uh, Sam Ballot's messenger, they would all see that letter open and they would just read it. Oh, oh, dang. Woo, okay. It's literally like the 2023 version of sending a tweet out on Twitter land because you know eventually it's going to get retweeted. Eventually you're going to hear about it and everybody's going to know what's going down. Everybody's going to be sipping the tea like, oh, dang, this, woo, this is spicy. So that's what Sam Ballas is basically doing. He's trying to stir stuff up. And so in this letter, Sam Ballas basically says, hey, man, word on the street is that the Jews are trying to rebel. Word on the street, Nehemiah, is that you're planning to be their king. And the word on the street is that you're telling the prophets to say that there's a king in Judah. Now, this is crazy talk, guys. And here's why. Sam Ballot is literally stirring up conspiracy. Because if you know the history of Israel, it's written 
that, uh, from the prophets that there's going to be a Messiah coming. And so Samuel is trying to write something that gets people to think either Nehemiah is the coming Messiah or he's pretending to be. But either way, it's not true. Nehemiah is not the Messiah. He knows that. And he's not trying to pretend to be the Messiah. But by Samballot's letter being open and sending that out, it's causing conspiracy because now it's causing people to think, is Nehemiah saying he's the Messiah? So you see, his attempt was to try to get this to distract Nehemiah and cause all kinds of drama that hopefully it would get him away from rebuilding the wall. He's a hater. Okay, and so I can see Nehemiah, and he's reading this letter, and for us, it's probably like 2023 going on Twitter and being like, bro, the NFL's rigged? The NFL's rigged? What? Because you know some people are going to retweet that without doing any type of research, right? They're just going to run with it like, hey, man, did you hear the NFL's rigged, dog? Did you hear about that? No truth to it at all. And so that's what Nehemiah is probably thinking. is reading this like, what is he talking about? So now all these people are going around thinking like, no, this is not what I'm trying to do. This is not what's going on. And so I'm sure Nehemiah is probably, at least I know I would be, tripping. Like, oh, what? Who is this? Sam? Ooh, Sam Ballot, bruh. But then let's check it out. Let's see how Nehemiah recognizes and resists. So we hop back in here to verse 8. And Nehemiah says, there is nothing to these rumors that you are spreading. You are inventing them in your own mind. Literally, two simple sentences. And I don't know if he like wrote these down and then gave it back to Sam Bell's messenger and said, hey, run tell that. Or if he like verbalizes it and he's just like, hey, there ain't no truth in that. You're lying. You're making it up in your own mind. Like, I don't know if he said it. I don't know if he wrote it. But two simple sentences and then he just keeps it moving. And to me, when I read that, I'm like, dude, Nehemiah is a G for that. Because real talk, guys, if you've been around, I tell on myself every time I preach. But I'm going to tell myself again. The first fight that I ever got in was because somebody was running their mouth, lying on me, saying stuff that wasn't true. And so in my mind, if you're going to run your mouth, you probably need to get popped in it. So that way you can learn that you probably shouldn't be running your mouth, saying stuff that isn't true. Right? And so Nehemiah... He, he's obviously a lot better of a person than I am because Nehemiah says two simple sentences and then keeps it moving. And y'all are laughing, but some of y'all are just like me. Because some of y'all, you know, if you were in Nehemiah's shoes, you would have grabbed the first horse in sight. And you'd have been on that joint like, <laughs> Nehemiah finna catch these hands, boy. Soon as I get there, ooh, I'm going to jump up. No, I ain't even going to jump up. To him. I'm going to run him over with this horse, right? And you would have painted the whole entire picture in your head, the whole horse right there, like, oh, I'm about to go off on this. It's going to be night, night for Sam Ballot. Night, night. But we read the story, and Nehemiah, you could tell he loves God, and he's a lot better than us, because instead of him getting in his feelings about the lies and the rumors, he simply recognizes who he is, and he resists. He knows, and in his heart, he's saying, I know who God has called me to be, and I know what God has called me to do. So he doesn't entertain the lie. When you know who God has called you to be and what he's called you to do, people can say whatever they want to say, and you could just keep moving forward. 
And that's what Nehemiah does. He resists getting engaged with the lies and the rumors. He, he doesn't fight back. He's just like, bro, there ain't no truth in that. I'm just keeping moving. And he resists getting engaged and getting caught. He resists going to attack Sam Ballot and fight him and try to prove his point. He's like, nah, there ain't no truth in that. We keep it moving. And when I was in college and I first started walking with God, people thought I was a little bit weird because I went from team turnip to team Jesus like almost overnight. And so I went from being the dude who was like throwing parties at my house, hey, come over, da 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 da, doing all that stuff, to literally my roommates threw a party at my house one night, and I was in the room with the door closed reading my Bible. And people were coming to my room like, bro, are you gonna come out? I said, no, nah, let me show you the scripture real quick though. See, this is what I've been reading right I'm back here, I'm learning. This, did you know this was in the Bible? And they'd be like, I'm about to go back out here. I don't know what Matt's on. He's on some weird stuff. And they thought that I was going through some kind of fad. And they thought it was just, some, oh, he going to come down off that mountain in a minute, bro. He out there tripping. We know who he is, dog. He going to be right back with us, puff, puff, pass in a minute. You know what I'm saying? Like, and they were saying all this stuff trying to discourage me because they didn't know what God was doing in my heart. And so I had to resist letting their criticism cause me to shrink back. I had to resist worrying about what they said, and I had to lean into what God was doing in my heart. I had to resist engaging all the mean things they were saying about me to be like, you know what? I know what God is doing in my heart. I'm learning who he's calling me to be, and I'm going to resist getting engaged in your doubts in your lies, in your rumors, and I'm going to move forward on who God has called me to be. So just like I had to resist, you have to resist, Nehemiah had to resist, and in that place of resistance, Nehemiah actually says a really awesome prayer. And so we're going to hop in verse 9. This is what Nehemiah prays. He says, but now God Now, my God, strengthen my hands. And this wasn't a prayer of fear. He wasn't like afraid, like, oh, Lord, strengthen my hands. No, this was a prayer where he was basically saying, like, hey, I'm finna go even harder. That's literally what he's saying, like, strengthen my hands, God. They want to talk trash. They want to doubt what you're doing in my life. They want to try to pull me away from who you're calling to be. I'm about to go harder. And some of us, I feel like we're in a season where God is saying, just go harder. People don't understand what you're doing. People don't understand what God is calling you to. People don't understand who God is calling you to be. Just go harder. You don't have to argue. You don't have to fight. Get on those knees. Pray more. Get in that word. Study more. Be consistent. Be disciplined. And just stay focused and be who God has called you to be and go even harder. And that's what Nehemiah was saying. Lord, strengthen my hands. I don't care what they say. I don't care what they do. I'm finna go even harder. And that's the season that I believe God is calling us to. Just go harder. So twice we've seen Nehemiah show us that wisdom of recognizing and resisting. But guess what? Sam Ballot and his compadres, they ain't done yet. So Sam Ballot actually pays one of the prophets 
to go lie to Nehemiah. So a prophet comes to Nehemiah and says, hey, Nehemiah, man, your, your enemies, they're coming to kill you tonight. You, gotta, you better go to the temple and hide for safety. Come on, Nehemiah, let's go. They're coming to kill you tonight. Let's go, let's go. And check out Nehemiah's response. In verse 11, he says, should a man like me run away? How can someone like me enter the temple and live? I will not go. Let me say it again. Should a man like me run away? You calling me soft, bro? How can someone like me enter the temple and live? I will not go. He recognizes, again, I have been called by God to rebuild this wall, period. I'm ready to endure whatever I have to endure to complete the assignment that God has called me to and resist. As a leader, Nehemiah realized that he has to resist doing anything that would compromise his character. Because here's the deeper thing. He wasn't a priest, so he actually wasn't allowed to go hang out in the temple like that. It would actually be against the law for him to hide in the temple. So he's trying, they're trying to catch him in this plot. Like, let's get Nehemiah to hide in the temple, because then that also would defame his character, because he's not supposed to be hiding in the temple. So now people would be like, what's Nehemiah doing hanging out hiding in the temple? He ain't supposed to be hanging out hiding in the temple. He ain't no priest. And now people would have some dirt on him being like, Nehemiah out here breaking the law, bruh. Right? But he realizes, like, no, I'm going to resist doing anything that's going to compromise my character so that way you guys have nothing on me. And so now three times in chapter 6, we see Sambalat try to stop Nehemiah. And all three times, Nehemiah recognizes who he is. He recognizes what he's called to do. He resists engaging in the lies. He resists engaging in the distractions. And in just 52 days, they finish rebuilding the wall, and he finishes this major task that God had called him to. And the scriptures say it this way. The wall was completed in 52 days. On the 25th day of the month of Elul, when our enemies heard this, all the surrounding nations were intimidated, and they lost their confidence, for they realized that this task had to be accomplished by God. When people are talking bad about you, stay the course and they will realize God must be at work. Because those same people that were doubting that God was actually doing something in my heart are the same people that call and say, bro, I need some prayer. I'm like, remember that one time you said that I was just going through a fad? <laughs> now you want to come to me for prayer? What? But sometimes you just got to keep pressing through. And the people that are naysayers and doubters, what they really want is they really want a reason to believe. And for some of you, you are going to be the reason why someone else believes in God. If you do not engage and do not run, but if you keep going forward and recognize who God has called you to be, you can impact your entire family tree by just being that one that says, I won't shrink back. And so these people, they realized, dang. The only way they could finish that wall in 52 days is if God is who he says he is. Because ain't no way they should have been able to finish that wall in those 52 days. So it intimidated them. Like, man, what, is, what does that mean for us? It put them in a position where they were forced to see that, bro, God must be who he says he is. And for some of you to go from darkness to life, from some of you to stop the things that you're doing and to come into righteousness for some of you to be who you are 
or who you were as a person into who God is calling you to be. For some of you, people are looking like, whoa, for that man, Matt Lynch, to be transformed, God must be real because that joker was a fool. And that's literally who I was, guys. Like, when I became a Christian, people were like, bruh, either God is real or that man's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs because we know who Matt Lynch is. But then that same people, same people are now seeking out encouragement, asking me to help them understand scripture. And for some of you, I just want to say it again, just go harder. Just go harder. So we look at Nehemiah's story, and this is a powerful story of what God can do through you if you just stay focused on who he's called you to be and what he's called you to do. And one of the most powerful things and one of the most powerful phrases that Nehemiah says is in verse 3. And I want to read it again. It's so powerful. In verse 3, Nehemiah says, I am doing important work. I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? So the question today, do you recognize the important work that God has called you to? I honestly, do, do you recognize the important work that God has called you to? And I'm not talking about your job. I'm not talking about your career, your five-year plan. I'm not talking about that. Like, I want to help you out. I wanna, let's make this very, very clear. Very, very clear. The most important thing that God has called you to is himself, period. Before any task, before any work, the most important thing that God is calling any of us to is to himself. Your intimacy with Jesus, my intimacy with Jesus, my relationship with Jesus is the greatest responsibility that we have while living on this earth. Nothing else matters above your relationship and your continued intimacy with Jesus Christ. And so you might be asking yourself, okay, that sounds cool. That sounds kind of deep, coach. But what does intimacy with God even look like? Like, what does that even mean? How do I maintain intimacy? It's going back to that place that we talked about a minute ago, that consistency in reading your word, and that consistency in seeking his face. It's that consistency in being honest with where you are in life, confessing your sin, recalibrating, not believing the lie that God's okay with your sin. Maintaining that intimacy is a constant pursuit of wanting to be near him by prayer, by seeking his face, and by studying his word. Now, I'm going to hurt somebody's feelings when I say this. I got tough skin a little bit. You cannot substitute reading your word with listening to worship music. Someone just threw a shoe at me. I felt it. Mm, felt that. I hear people say all the time, oh, my schedule's too busy to get in my Bible. I just can't. Or, oh, man, the word of God is just so confusing. I don't even know. I can't even understand. So I, you know, on my way to work, I just listen to worship music. That's cool. Okay. But the word of God is what transforms your heart and your mind, and you need it. It's just like when mama said, bro, you better eat that broccoli. 
You might not like it, but that broccoli got some good vitamins and nutrients. You might not understand the word. It might not be the most joyful thing in the world, but you need that joint. And the more you start to read that word, guess what? The more you actually start to be like, hmm, I'm building up a little bit of an appetite for this. I want to keep reading this. Oh, I'm starting to understand a little bit. Man, man, this word of God is good, bruh. This word of God is really good. It's just like when my mom put a little bit of cheese on that broccoli, it set it off. I was like, I love broccoli. You put some cheese on that broccoli, this broccoli is good. You start getting in the word a little bit, and God starts teaching you, and God starts revealing stuff to you, and all of a sudden you're like, dang, the word of God is good. But you can't put it off to the side and say, oh, I ain't got time. Or, man, I just don't understand it. Fight for understanding because you need it. Apart from the word of God, there is no intimacy with him. So if you're struggling to find out how to get to that intimate place, Start analyzing what is keeping me from the Word of God. What lies am I believing that are telling me I don't need to read the Word? And recalibrate and understand, hey, I need the Word of God, and so I'm going to do whatever I can to keep myself engaged in the Word of God because our intimacy is our number one responsibility while we're on this earth. And so... As you look through Nehemiah's story, you actually come to realize that the reason why he was successful was because God was first. Like, it wasn't necessarily his skills. It wasn't his talents. It wasn't like Nehemiah was successful in rebuilding that wall because God came first, period. And so that's why this story is so amazing because it gives us a snapshot of what God can do through us if we stay focused on who he's called us to be and what he's called us to do. Because now it's not even about my gifts and talents. It's about what God wants to do through me if I stay focused on who he's called me to be and what he's called me to do. And that's what we get to see in the life of Nehemiah. So like I said earlier, sometimes we go through seasons where things are clicking. Like, man, we're close to God. We're reading scriptures. And God is the number one priority of our life. And we're doing good. And things are flowing. And we're like, man, this is awesome. God is good. And then next thing you know, we meet a girl. Oh, I just felt another shoe. Bam. Right? But let's keep it 100, man. Ain't nothing wrong with dating. Ain't nothing, ain't nothing wrong with that. I'm, I'm married. I obviously had to date before I got married. But sometimes things come into our life. And all of a sudden... We go from God priority number one to God priority number two. And then we find ourselves in that spot. How did I get here? Right? If you are not ready, teenagers, even adults, if you are not ready to keep God first while you date, you ain't ready to date. If you are not ready to keep God first and central You're going to wake up one day and be like, how in the world did I get here? Because when you enter into a relationship, it's even that much more necessary to make sure that you keep God first. Because now you got your emotions, you got their emotions, and you're trying to navigate it. And if you ain't connected to God and intimate with him, you have no wisdom on how to navigate this. So now you're in the flesh, they're in the flesh, and you guys are like, rawr! Right? So if you're going to be in a relationship, you better be prepared to keep God first first and the highest priority in that thing. And so I want to keep this plain because the Bible teaches this and sometimes we lose sight of this as well. But the Bible teaches us that we have an enemy. 
right? I have an enemy, you have an enemy. We all have an enemy, the adversary, the devil, whatever you want to call him. But we have an enemy, just like Samballot was. And the enemy will go to great lengths and do whatever he can to pull away your focus from who God has called you to be and what he has called you to do. One of my friend's dads used to always say this, brother, devil don't play fair. And as I got older, I realized, brother, devil don't play fair, dog. He ain't got no rules, right? He will do whatever he can to throw you off course and help you lose focus on who God has called you to be and what he's called you to do. He does not play fair. And so one of the things that I've had to learn in my life is when things come into my sphere, when things come into my life, whether good, bad, ugly, or different, I'm training myself to ask this question. Will this pull me away from who God has called me to be and who he has called me and what he's called me to do? Will this pull me away? Because sometimes, guys, an opportunity can actually be a distraction. I, I, I know people, I remember when I was like, I was probably like 19 at the time, and I went to this, uh, this Christian retreat, and this guy was uh, sharing a testimony about how he got this job opportunity making several, several hundred thousand dollars or whatever. But he said in his heart, he knew that it was going to pull him away from who God had called him to be and what he called him to do, so he turned down the job. And I was like young in the faith, and I was like, bro, I don't know if that was God. The dollar amount that you just said? I don't know if God said no to that, but I'm realizing even as I get old, there's no dollar amount that I can put above the priority of seeking God first and being who he's called me to be and what he's called me to do. So I'm teaching myself to avoid getting in those seasons of life where I'm asking myself, how did I get here? I have to recognize, will this take me away from my time with Jesus? I have to ask myself that question. Opportunities come and go. Things come in. And I have to ask myself, will this take me away from my time with Jesus? And I have to resist placing money above purpose. Because here's the deal. Purpose is not your job and your career. That's not your purpose. Your purpose is to use your job and your career to make Jesus known. That's your purpose. And Paul writes it this way. Let's jump into 2 Corinthians real quick. And Paul writes it this way. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he committed the message of reconciliation to us. Long story short, Jesus gave up his life on the cross to reconcile all of us back to God. And so if you've been transformed, if you know God, if you're in a relationship with Jesus, your purpose is to let other people know that message. So this is, this is the task that we've all been called. This is what we're all called to build. This is the wall for us is to make Jesus' name known. And this is the task that we've all... And this, the specifics might look different. 
The specifics might look different from my life and your life and your life. The specifics look different, but the assignment is the same. You've been transformed by God. Go tell someone about God. You, 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 you receive forgiveness from God. Go forgive somebody and let them know that God is the reason why you're able to forgive. God's giving you mercy. Go show mercy. You're a child of God now. Go help someone else be a child of God. And this is the assignment. But we can't be ignorant to the fact that on this journey, we're going to have some opposition. Just like Nehemiah had opposition, we are going to face opposition because the enemy just don't play fair. He don't. And just like Nehemiah faced that opposition, so will we. I have a friend, and he's the only one in his family who wants to go hard for God. And some of you, that might be you. You might be the only one in your family who's actually trying to get to know God. I want to encourage you, go harder. It might be lonely at times, because I remember that's the season I went through in college. When I, when I started seeking God and, and discovering who he called me to be, it was lonely at times. But I had to say that same prayer. Strengthen my hands, God. I got to go harder. And for some of you, you might be the only one in your family. You might be the only one in your circle of friends. Your friends are trying to get you to come back into your old ways. And I want to encourage you, just go harder. Recognize who he's called you to be. Recognize what he's called you to do. And resist believing the lies and getting caught up in the distractions and all that foolishness. And I want to share this real quick. When I was praying through this message, I felt God say that he really wanted to make sure that he was the center and the focus of this message. Not that any other message isn't, but this is what I'm getting at. There's been times, and it's, it's, not, a, it's not a bad thing. I'm not throwing shade on anybody else, but I've heard the story of Nehemiah more than once get used in a context for someone's vision for their five-year plan, their business, and what they want to build. And they take the story of Nehemiah, and they make it a selfish story. Oh, I have a vision of what I want my life to be like. Oh, I have a vision of my business and how I want it to grow. I've even... Now, there's a time and a place for that, but today I really felt as I was preparing and praying through this message that God was saying, Matt, I want my people to know that their intimacy with me is priority number one, and I want them to build that relationship with me. Don't talk about anything else, Matt, but calling everybody back to me 100%. And so I went back through my notes, and I said, shh, 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 shh. All right, God, it's all about you today. Yeah, we have ideas about business plans, five-year plans, what college we want to go to, what we want our spouse to look like, what kind of cars we want to drive. We have all these visions, but the number one vision is what does your relationship with God look like? Who is he calling you to be, and what is he calling you to do? So if you're joining us today, and you would say, you know what, Matt? I'm not even a follower of Jesus. I don't even know where I fall in line with this. Well, I want to encourage you today. 
Because the number one thing that the enemy is going to try to do is to keep you from accepting Jesus. He's going to throw all kinds of theories, all kinds of conspiracies. He's going to throw all kinds of stuff in your way to get you to be like, he walked on water? What? And he's going to try to get all kinds of doubt to keep you skeptical and keep you from trying to accept Jesus. But in this room right now, you're, you're sitting next to a room full of people who had wrestling matches with whether or not they were going to trust Jesus. And I, and I know we, I know I do. I always put a plug into city groups, guys, but literally, it's why I love city groups. There's a room full of people, my city group meets on Wednesday nights, who we're all going through some stuff. We all have our wrestling matches of whether or not we're going to engage with what God has called us to do and who he's called us to be. And it's a room full of people. And by the time you leave that room, you realize, bruh, we all are in the same spot. Like the enemy is working against all of us. We all have our own certain doubts and quirks. And we all are trying to figure this thing out called life. And at the end of the day, Jesus is the central piece that keeps us all together. So if you're, if you're in this space together and you're like, you know what, I'm still skeptical. I don't know. I want to encourage you that you're in a place right now where people have literally been in the same shoes that you're in right now. Where we've all had to be like, you know what, I just don't know if I believe God but I feel him doing this weird thing in my heart. So just lean in. Keep coming back. But if you are sitting here right now and you haven't accepted Jesus and you feel that tug in your heart, I want you to recognize God loves you deeply. Deeply. God wants to be part of your life. The the very details of your life. Not just around you. No, God wants to be very, very close, very, very intimate with you. And if you feel that tug and you're like, man, I haven't accepted Jesus as my Savior, you literally can do that right where you're sitting today. You feel that tug in your heart. It's just recognizing Jesus died on the cross for my sins. God used Jesus as the conduit to bring me back into a relationship with him. That Jesus paid for my sins on the cross. It's recognizing that and saying, Jesus, I need you in my life. I want a relationship with you. I admit that I've sinned. I admit that I've been doing my own thing. I admit that I've been disobedient. I admit, Jesus, that I've gone to the farthest corner trying to avoid you and do my own thing. But I confess and I admit that I need you as my Savior. That's all it takes. And if you feel that tug, I want to encourage you. Resist believing the lies. Resist that voice that says, Ah, right, bro, you got time, bro. Live it up, live it up. Maybe when you get about 30, 34, 35, then you can get serious with God. Or, nah, man, just put it off for tomorrow, not right now. You need to investigate a little bit more, you know what I'm saying? To, let's do a little bit more research on this Jesus thing. Like, nah, resist all those voices. Recognize that God is pulling at your heart because he has something greater for you. Recognize that God is pulling at your heart because he wants to be intimately acquainted with you and walk with you 
He's not demanding perfection tomorrow. He's asking for relationship now. He's not demanding perfection tomorrow. He's asking for relationship now. So all over this place, if we could just close our eyes real quick. I just want to pray. Pray as we, as we close out. Now, if you're, uh, if you're in here, like I said, and maybe you said that prayer already. He said, God, I, I recognize that I need you. I recognize that Jesus has died on the cross for my sins to open up a relationship for me and you. If you've said that prayer, then I encourage you that when we're done praying, to grab that card in front of you that says decision and fill that out. Okay, we're, we're not going to call you a thousand times, but you fill that card out. You can leave it on the, ta- on the desk or on the seat that you're sitting on, or you could take it to the next steps table. And that's just so we can reach out to you once, maybe talk to you, and then just pray with you on the decision that you've made to accept Jesus and follow him. But if you're in here and you say, you know what, Matt, I've already accepted Jesus into my heart, but bruh, I'm in that season. How did I get here? I want to pray for you. So with all eyes closed and heads bowed, Father, you are worthy to be praised. And Jesus, we know that you ought to be the focus and the number one priority of our life. But sometimes, God, we get thrown off course. Sometimes, God, we lose focus on who you've called us to be and what you've called us to do. But you are a gracious, a patient, and a merciful God. So I pray for the believer in here, God, that needs their heart recalibrated, that needs to be encouraged, that needs to know you still love them, God, and that you're still there for them, God. The believer in here, God, who needs to strengthen their hands and just go harder, that you would meet them right now in this seat where they are, and that you would lift up the burdens of their heart, God. They're forgiven of their sin, God. They have new mercy every single day, God. Speak that to every believer in this house, that we walk out of this room encouraged to be all that you've called us to be. You are worthy to be praised, God, and we love you, and we ask all this in your precious son, Jesus' name. Amen.